This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I review the inexplicable Hard Rock Hard Seltzer Pack, a creature feature of the Lenorm, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. we're back yeah we're back Woo! countdown to 100 continues this is 98 two more one month Ugh. we haven't uh we haven't decided we what still we're haven't doing. talked about it we haven't talked about it at all oh uh, okay uh-oh uh anyway <laughs> this is gonna be a great episode though right yeah yeah course. it's another one that's just you and me yeah I had to squeeze another one in before the next live yes so we're recording this on a tuesday happy tuesday everybody for those of you who are listening on a tuesday we're continuing to experiment with the recording setup when it's just the two of us recording by ourselves. This might be the most awkward way to do it. Yeah, both of us staring straight forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like the two of but us. Like are, last time. Yeah, we're, we're, it's the live zone that you set up, right? Where we're sitting yeah. next to each other talking towards something, except we're basically just talking towards a camera that's not recording and a wall. But like, so last time I sat in Haley's seat mm-hmm. and I just remember that being a huge pain in the ass because we were passing the seltzers back and forth, like across the table. Yep. And normally it works fine when I'm in my seat. That's our default setup when it's you and me, but all of the controls for the computer are in Haley's seat across the table lengthways. So there's no way I get to them. Right. From my seat. So, so now you're in like the switch hitter seat, the fourth one that Chris does for bestow curse and Haley will do for, uh, Disorderly and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm in the Motley Crew seat. Oh, absolutely. That's what they call it now, I guess. Yeah. Um, what you been up to, man? Uh, I mean, it was just Halloween. So how'd it go? We had a lot of kids come to the house. We gave out full size candy bars along with regular candy bars. And I think we, <laughs> we gave out 60 full size candy bars Oof. along with two Costco bags of candy. Mm hmm. So, of smaller candy bars, so way too much candy. Um, so there were a lot of kids. Yeah, it was the maybe the biggest turnout yet. Nice, nice. Halloween at my place was a little bit more of a low key affair. Probably about the fourth or fifth year in a row at my apartment complex where I've gotten no trick or treaters, mm-hmm. just good because I don't have candy in the house. So I'd probably just have those kids walking away with a bang energy drink or something. Those but, are rare these days. Yeah, getting rarer, unfortunately. Uh, that, maybe that's what we do on the 100th episode of Zone of Truth. Just uh, discuss the recent bang controversy. Bang shortage. Yeah. But yeah, so not a lot of kids in the neighborhood doing trick-or-treat stuff. I was just kind of hanging out by myself. I was working off of a stomach bug, which was unfortunate. And I'm not going to talk about it in the, like, what have you been up to part of the show. But I started a movie that I can't wait to finish tonight. It's called Possessor. It's by... Okay directed by i think the son of david cronenberg and it is a sci-fi horror mashup of a lady that like hijacks people's brains to do hitman stuff so she'll like basically download her consciousness into someone's brain and then use them to kill people and then kill herself and then revert to a regular brain and it's like a perfect crime but it starts to go bad and i'm an hour in and really 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 liking it so we'll see how it goes is it like a particularly long movie or did you just not make it no i just started it way too late at night gotcha. I, yeah it's like 
a little over an hour and a half. I think it's closer to an hour 45. And I started at like 11 p.m. and got like an hour in. And I was like, oh, I really could easily do this and screw myself over for the next day. But I'm not going to do that. Gotcha. Haley and I did our annual uh, rewatch of Over the Garden Wall. Ooh. So that was good. Nice. Did our classic near Halloween watch of Nightmare Before Christmas. Awesome. Yeah. We watched dudes beat the shit out of each other in armor on Sunday. That was fun. Yeah, we went to the Ren Fair. It was closing day. We were on. We were there on opening day and closing. We closed day it season. out. We closed it out. And uh, yeah, I think that was the only time that I've been there this year that we really saw the like heavy armor combat, and it yeah. was so good the first time around. We came back we came for the back. second show. And I'm and glad we did because it was different nights. Yeah, different I was, nights. I was expecting it to be all the same guys. Different nights with different like fights and stuff. They had different like pairings and matchups and, mm-hmm. and different gimmicks. It was a lot of fun. Like, yeah, it was people in full like armor beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, I think great. This, I think the sport is called Behurt. Okay. I mean it's like full armor combat, but I think the t- technical term for it is Behurt. Sure. And they're like the Cincinnati team that does it. Yeah. Well, but yeah, it was it was fun to watch. I hadn't seen it. I mean, Haley and I have been four times. You've been three. Mm-hmm. We haven't stopped by and watched that yet. We still haven't been to a joust. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like that's the one thing that everyone mentions when I tell them that I've been going to the Ren Fair lately. It's like, oh, jousting, right? Oh, I guess. I haven't been to it, <laughs> I but know. sure. Yeah, I keep missing that for some reason. Yeah, but uh, that was fun. Nice. Unfortunately... Now we got nothing until they open for the holiday thing they do. Well, we'll be there. Looking good, as always. In full armor. Full armor. What have I been up to lately? Besides the Ren Faire and and Possessor, I also saw another great, great, great scary movie last week that I will not talk about at all whatsoever. Just know that it is called Barbarian, and I was told the less you know about this horror movie going into it, the better. And the person who said that was correct. So if you're looking for a really good scary movie, something that I put up in the pantheon of like art housey type popular horror, like Jordan Peele and Ari Aster's stuff and It Follows and all them, Barbarian is really, really good. Oh, you know what? I didn't get to watch the whole thing, Mm -hmm. but there is, and I I say this because I I don't even remember the title, but it was, uh, there's a movie, an animated movie on Netflix right now that is co-directed by Jordan Peele and the guy that did the Coraline animated movie. And it's yeah. uh, it's also got Keegan-Michael Key and, and Jordan Peele as like two of the main like mm-hmm. protagonist, antagonist characters. And it's it's like a, I can't remember the name of it. It's, it's named after the two. They're both demons, and it's named after them. I can picture the little like poster thing that I saw online for it when I was scrolling through Facebook. I really, really enjoyed it. it. I didn't get to see the whole thing because I wasn't watching it from the beginning. But, mm. but what I saw was pretty good. It was pretty interesting. Nice. Nice. And again, like that, you know, having the guy that did Coraline be the main like director of like the all of the claymation and all that stuff, mm-hmm. too, gave it like that really good claymation style that rocks when that's done well that can be so much fun to watch and when it's done poorly it's really gross yeah (laughs) yeah ain't that the truth (laughs) oh i saw corpse bride for the first time really i've never seen that one it's it's one that i i always felt like i had seen sure and finally Haley and i were watching these movies and i was like i swear to god i haven't seen corpse bride was it good yeah it was good it was good i just 
I was like, I, I think, I feel like I've seen the first 15 minutes of it like mm -hmm. three times, and I've just never stuck by it and watched the movie. But it's worth a watch. Huh. All right. I'll have to keep that in mind. We're also living in this period where a bunch of bands that I really, really love just all dropped new albums within like a week of each other. So I'm not going to talk about any of them really at length because we have plenty that we need to get to today. But just know that I have heard the new Architects record. It's really good. I have heard the re-record of Enemy of the World from Four Years Strong. I have heard Darker Still by Parkway Drive. And of course, my boys and We Came as Romans just put out Oh boy, what could be, once I listen to it a couple more times, my favorite album of theirs. It's an album called Dark Bloom. Best metalcore record I've heard in a very, very long time. Best heavy record, I think, since The Beartooth's Below. But really loved it. That's high praise. It, it is. It is. They really did a good fucking job. Uh, I guess it's just as a little aside, like this was a band that I've listened to since high school. And one of their things is they have two lead singers. One of them has like a, a higher pitched voice and does a lot of like really pretty clean vocals. And then they have this other dude who is a really, really powerhouse dude of a screamer. And a few years ago, the guy that does all the clean vocals died and they weren't sure if they were going to continue or whatever. And so they finally like circled the wagons as a band. We're like, you know what? He wouldn't want us to stop. And like we all went on this awful, tragic journey together. Like, let's channel that into new music. And they put out some of their best work that I've ever heard. And it just it feels like in a way, this tragedy kind of like brought them together and made them discover like really good songwriting. I don't know. Like the songs are really good. Did they, did they like recruit another second? No, they just had the, the guy that did most of the screaming before is now doing a lot of clean vocal stuff. And he's really good at it, too. He's got a good voice. Good name, too. David Stevens. Just like me and my brother. Isn't that great? Yeah, good for you guys. <laughs> yeah, excellent record, though. I really, really love it. Record's called Dark Bloom. Oh, man. Speaking of the screaming, there's this really funny trend going on on TikTok right now. It's like an AI that okay. replaces your voice with a female voice. I like this. And a bunch of dudes that like that scream in metal bands have been trying to break the bot okay. that does the voice change by like screaming into it and seeing if they can get her to like drop the because she like raises your voice and like actually makes you sound like a woman. Oh, wow. And it's just hilarious because like you'll get <laughs> you'll get dudes that like turn it on and off and like they're legitimate screaming and the bot can like pick up what they're saying like better wow. than most better than most people that like listen to a song for the first time. <laughs> and like That's just wild. is like saying it is saying it but she's like <laughs> <laughs> that rocks is it like a microsoft sammy type of like very uh like robot-y type no, voice or it's creepy it, like oh, you sound dear. you sound like a you, most people sound like a female news anchor wow it's really weird and, and there All was right, another. That's what we're doing for episode 100. Well, well, there was another guy that tried to break it because he does the, um, he does where like you can get your voice deep enough to do the like fry and do the like throat sing. Oh thing. sure, yeah. So he finally got it to break when it got down to that level, but it was only letting out like wow. the, it was only letting out those weird like dissonant frequencies when you like throat sing. Uh huh. But he like couldn't get it to break when he. I mean he. He was like showing like the notes he was hitting. And, uh -huh. Like I, I don't know what an impressive note is, but like seemed like he was hitting pretty like low notes. Ooh, if, if you find that video again, I would love to see that because that fucking rocks. 
That sounds awesome. I'm going to look this up when I get home. <laughs> All right, Griffin. I said it in the intro, but we have a real inexplicable one today. Yeah. Hard Rock, known for Hard Rock Cafe, Hard Rock Casino, Hard Rock Park. For a hot second, there was a Hard Rock amusement park. Well, they're in a hard ciders now. Oh, fucking Christ. They're in a hard seltzers. That's what I meant. And uh, we're going to try them. Pick these up in Pennsylvania because they don't distribute here. Yeah, I feel like this was a really missed opportunity. Like they have the Hard Rock logo Mm -hmm. to just do the Hard Rock logo, but do hard seltzer. 100%. How do you whiff on that? I mean, I guess guess the branding wouldn't be as strong. You know, you wouldn't connect it to Hard Rock Cafe or Or, whatever. Or what if it's like... Or what if it's like the logo and then there's like a red slash through rock and it's like a spray painted like seltzer or something. Yeah, I think that would work great. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's edgy because they're hard rock. But I don't know. Anyway, the party never stops at hard rock. That's why we crafted our new hard rock hard seltzers to be endlessly refreshing. Our easy drinking hurricane mojito strawberry lime and blackberry sangria seltzers are hard rock fan favorite flavors so no matter what mood you're in or who you're with we've got your taste and that last part's in quotes i don't know why a six percent abv zero percent or zero gram sugar rather and 130 calories how are we going to rate these seltzers well i pulled out a streamlined version of moe's scale of hardness of course because these are hard rocks uh (laughs) So that, that normally goes one to 10, and I d- just divided everything by two. So uh, one out of five, that's gypsum. It's a pretty weak-ass rock. Two is fluorite. Three is orthoclass. Four is topaz. And of course, the hardest rock ever, diamond is number five. Uh, you ever been to a hard rock cafe? I have. Casino? Yeah, I've been to a couple of the cafes. I've never been to the casino. Any notable ones? I know people like to get the ones with the shirt. They're uh, the city on the shirt. I went to... <laughs> the Baltimore one, because it's oh, right by the yeah, aquarium. Sure. As a kid, it's just like, oh, let's go to Hard Rock Cafe after yeah. a day at the aquarium. My Game Boy Color was stolen out of the car because oh, it was Baltimore. Baltimore. Fucking Baltimore. Uh, I, I feel like I've been to another one that was at like a, a beach town or something. They, sure. they had one, but I can't remember. I, really not super notable no. experiences. No, I only went once and it was in a pretty strange circumstance. So when I was in high school, I went on a trip to Italy with the school and it was like a week long and it's just a bunch of high school kids being little jabronis. You know, we're gorging on Italian food like all week long and the very last day we were in Rome. So we closed up our trip at Hard Rock Cafe in Rome and like the kids just went fucking nuts. Uh, just ordering full racks of ribs and double bacon cheeseburgers and stuff. Like they'd been starved for American cuisine. <laughs> Holy clay. Feeding frenzy, Lord of the Flies style. But I imagine we're probably not going to receive these with the same gusto as me and my classmates did back in like 2000, whatever. Um, well, I honestly think seltzer is kind of a weird move for that brand in general. It just feels so cynical. Like, they just saw something that was popular and are trying to make a quick buck on it. That's at least the feeling that I get. Yeah, they were like, if Sonic can do this, so can Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, I got news for him. Sonic can't. Sonic really can't do it. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start with the hurricane. 
This unique flavor is inspired by one of Hard Rock Cafe's signature cocktails. The original drink is based with amaretto, grenadine, and both dark and light rum. To receive the sunset look you would see in your glass, liquors are layered within pours of orange juice, pineapple juice, and mango juice. Hard Rock Hard Seltzer took this fan favorite, captured all its flavor, and packed it all into a spike seltzer. All right, I'm gonna pop this open. Let's see. Huh. Hmm. Kind of bad. Yeah, not, there's, not Sonic bad. There's something weird in it. Yeah. I bring up Sonic. Uh, it was just mentioned, of course. But it still has like that weird. It's unripe mango. It's unripe mango. That's, yeah. That's what that is. That Have you ever had a really like just like a, a completely unripe mango that like no. almost has that like. They're tough, and it's got like almost like a dish soapy flavor. Christ, no, I have not. That's what that is. Yuck! I'm getting the other, you know, tropical citrus. I think I can taste it. You know, I can still taste it on the back end, but yeah, it really starts with like a strange, boozy, soapy. Yeah, when you take that out, the rest of the flavors are fine. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I am going to give it a fluorite. That is a, a two out of five. This is kind of gross, but I'll put an asterisk on there that there's stuff in here that could work. Yeah, I think I'll give it the same. (laughs) Again, I think we're experiencing a time where had we had this four months ago, Mm -hmm. we might have been given it a one. Yeah, we might have been given it a gypsum, but I've had so many worse things of this that I can't help but see the potential there. Real, truly awful run we're on. You want to crack into this mojito? Yeah. And here's the deal. I got the agenda up in front of us. The website for this is truly awful as well. And unfortunately, that means that the copy for the hurricane is the same copy that appears when you click on the mojito, strawberry, lime, or blackberry sangria as well. So I thought about doing a bit where we just read the same copy four times, but the copy's kind of long and thought that would get old real fast. So why do you think these things have a gram of protein? I'm sorry, what? There's a, there's a gram of protein in all of these. You're not kidding. All right. Like in all of them, it's not just one flavor, but it is weird that two of the flavors are 130 calories and the and the mojito and the hurricane are only 120. All right. I'm going to Google something really quick. Oh. Huh. Hmm. hmm. Okay. Did you find the cause of the protein? It found that the average protein concentration of semen is 5,040 milligrams per 100 milliliters. So I thought maybe there was like a one-to-one ratio. Guess not. Oh, okay. Oh. I like that one. That's really good. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. Probably, that's probably like one of the best mojitos we've had. That's delicious. It, it's up there with the Dua Lipa one. I think the yeah. Dua Lipa one just has that other piece to it because it's not just a straight mojito. Yeah, it's a something mojito. I like that. That's I, fucking good. Yeah, I think I'd give that a Topaz. I'm 100% with you on that. Topaz, four out of five. Is this the best seltzer I've ever had? No. No, but I don't not. think mojito but, inherently makes for a great seltzer. But I do think that, I mean, that's a mojito. That tastes like a mojito. All I would need is like a little bit more muddled mint or something to believe that that was a mojito. Yeah, I've been tossing a lot of shade at Hard Rock so far, but they did a good job on that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, the next one is strawberry lime. And if there's one thing I've learned by doing way too many of these segments, it's that both the strawberry and lime flavors usually uh, achieve great results. See, I would have liked to hear what this is trying to emulate as one of their drinks. It's the only one that's not a drink. 
And guess what? That's pretty good. Yeah, that's not yeah, bad. I like that a lot. I'm also going to throw a topaz on that. That's what I was thinking, too. It's it's weird. The lime in this one kind of cuts the super sweetness that I think most of the strawberry ones have. Yes, and it is not a heavy, syrupy strawberry. Yeah. If anything, this is, cl- this is closer to, like, a fucking uh, LaCroix or something. Yeah, it's I mean, it's pretty it, light. It's definitely got a little bit more flavor than that, but not far away. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more lime forward in a good way, which I'm yeah. kind of surprised by because lime doesn't usually play super well. Yeah. Wow. Pretty impressive what they did with that. Yeah. Not bad. All right. Last one on the docket is Blackberry Sangria. I do worry every time these companies try and do like a wine and a seltzer. Mm-hmm. Although I remember us having like a pretty okay time with like the champagne pack or whatever. Yes, the mimosa pack the mimosa from pack. True Vizzy. Vizzy did that, I think. Well, shit. Ooh. He went back in for a couple sips. I mean, it does kind of have a little of that artificialness. I think that's probably the sweetest one of the, of the group. So the blackberry is really strong. Um, I still like it though. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. I think I still gotta go with the topaz. Yeah, I, I think I, it's it's pretty decent. I don't think any of these break through to the diamonds level on Moe's scale of hardness annotated for the zone of truth. But man, three out of four of these are kind of bangers. Yeah, yeah I mean, I really drink impressed. them for sure. I mean, I think that gives the pack like a three seven five, which is higher than most anything we've had in the past two months. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, this is one of the only packs that we've had. Probably the only pack that is not distributed in this state. So this is probably the only time we're going to be able to try this, because this product clearly won't be around for long. But damn, yeah. And uh, hey, you know, how are we going to wrap this up? I got a question for you. Do you think this pack is rocking hard or hardly rocking? I mean, I'm rock hard. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it's definitely rocking hard. Yeah. It's definitely, if, if you can get fours on three of your flavors, your first debut doing a seltzer, hell yeah. I mean, yeah. I, who does this, actually? Stewart's. Stewart's Enterprises, Inc. God, I hope that's not a shell company for the fucking Winklevoss twins and uh, Sesh. I don't think it is. <laughs> no, I don't think it is either. I think it's, isn't that like... Isn't Stewart's one of the hard soda lines? Oof. Could be a mistake. I don't know. Maybe. I'm just not sure. Sweet. So let's divide these up. Obviously, someone's going to have to jump on this hurricane grenade. But at, once you have it after one of these other ones, it's not too bad. Yeah. I would honestly be willing to jump on that because I've got the rest of the pack at home. I didn't bring it. I'm not going to abandon it here this time. So tell you what. Let me take that. And then... Uh, these are pretty interchangeably good. Is there one of these that you prefer over the others or, or want to get rid of? Not really. I think you get your pick of the bunch since you're hopping on the bad one. Sweet. Well, if that's the case, I'm going to do the one that was a little different. A little bit of fun. Blackberry Sangria. All right. Yum. All right. That was our seltzer review of the week. We're going to be moving over into a segment called Creature Feature. And what are we doing this time, Griff? The Lenorm. Yes. So this was a creature that I was admittedly a little surprised to see in this campaign. From what I understand, it's a little far from home in Ustalov. 
And I just thought book six was going to be wall to wall undead. Very pleasantly surprised that we've seen a little diversity in the front half. I, th- of the I think they're trying to give you just like a hit of diversity <laughs> before it gets real uh, one sided. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, that's why we're playing Carrion Crown, right? It's a scary campaign. You're going to have to fight some dead stuff. But so far, it's been pretty interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, as is tradition with this segment, I'm going to talk a little bit about the lore in our real world. And then Griff's going to bring us home by talking about the in-game lore and then maybe some uh, creature stats about the thing that we fought. So for those of you who are not familiar, I'm going to be using uh, some terms here pretty interchangeably. Lenorm is adjacent to the term Lindworm which is spelled several different ways. Kind of how it sounds, L-I-N-D-W-O-R-M. But it looks like regionally there's a bunch of different spellings where the O is substituted for a Y or a U or what have you. This is a mythical creature from Northern and Central European folklore, typically living in forests and in the shape of a giant serpent monster. It's very adjacent to a dragon with some notable differences. We're going to be talking about those in a minute, but according to these legends, everything that lies under the Linworm will increase as the Linworm grows, which gives rise to these types of dragons or dragon adjacent creatures sitting on giant hordes of treasure that just grow as they do and amassing crazy wealth. Typically, the Lindworm or Lenorm legends fall into two different categories. One, a good one associated with luck is usually when the hero or or, or protagonist of the story encounters a Lindworm that is a good person that has been transformed into another beast, like kind of like Princess and the Frog or the Frog Prince style. And then the other type of story is the bad one where your dragon adjacent creature is basically just a dragon adjacent creature that likes treasure and killing adventurers. So those are the two types of you know division that these stories fall into. But a couple other fun things about the Linworm, or rather one of them that I really enjoy before we start moving to some other stuff, is that one of the things that's consistent across many of these tales is that a Linworm may swallow its own tail or a Boris style. And then it basically turns itself into a big rolling wheel as a method of pursuing fleeing humans. And I don't think you can encapsulate this better than thinking about the climax of the movie Prometheus. Have you seen Prometheus? Mm-hmm. Yep. The giant wheel ship that's rolling and people are trying to run out of the way. The uh, It's funny because in the sap blocks for some of the Lenorms are, mm-hmm. is, is that ability. It's like a trample. Oh my God. I love that. Again, the Paizo folks taking the real life stuff and turning it into mechanics. Yeah. It's goofy as hell, and I really, really love it. So I always like to talk a little bit about the etymology of where these creature names come from. And it appears that this term occurs in Middle High German as Lintworm, L-I-N-T-W-U-R-M, and then was adopted into Scandinavia as Old Swedish Lindormber. I know we got some Swedish listeners out there. I apologize in advance. Hey, it's old Swedish. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can't get me on that. (laughs) And that basically is updated to the modern Swedish Lindnorm, which is very close to Linorm. It basically, when you chop the words apart, looks to mean Lind snake and Lind being a proto-Germanic adjective meaning flexible. So basically, 
Lindworm is flexible snake. Isn't that fun? I like that. Yeah. So. That's what they call Brooks at parties. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Not for the reason you'd think. Um, anyway, in these older Swedish folklore tales, it's usually portrayed as a wingless dragon-like serpent with two legs. So it moves kind of like a mole lizard, kind of like a, a snake that has two legs on the front where it slithers side to side to move and then drags itself forward with those legs as well. They're usually portrayed with dorsal fins like a fish and a horse-like mane, which I thought was interesting because usually you don't see that type of mammalian feature ported over to a reptile like this. They typically have a breath weapon, which is this milky substance that can blind folks. I don't know if we saw that in combat or that appears in a milky substance coming out of a flexible snake. Hey, put this gram of protein in my uh, hard rock seltzer. (laughs) It's a very phallic legend is what I'm saying. (laughs) Hey, your words, not mine. Um, And uh, yeah, so that's basically them in their early depictions. I have this little segment I clip from the web here about some late beliefs of this and I'm going to read this pretty much verbatim because I think it's super interesting because you almost never see the exact moment in history when a legend stops becoming a legend and just dies and this is basically it so the belief in the reality of a norm a giant limbless serpent persisted well into the 19th century in some parts the Swedish folklorist Gunnar Olaf Hilton Cavalius who lived in the 1800s collected in the mid-19th century stories of legendary creatures in Sweden and met several people in Småland, Sweden, who said they had encountered giant snakes, sometimes equipped with a long mane. He gathered about 50 eyewitness reports and in 1884 offered a cash reward for a captured specimen, dead or alive. Heighton Cavalius came to be ridiculed by Swedish scholars and no one has ever managed to claim the reward. It resulted in a cryptozoological, that word is a mouthful, defeat. Rumors of the existence of lindworms in Smallland soon debated. <laughs> so that's where a legend dies, folks. You may not be familiar with this particular legend. I wasn't really until I started getting involved with Pathfinder stuff, but there are several different types of dragon-like serpents in legends. Again, forgive my pronunciation here, but the uh, Gwyver, G-U-I-V-R-E, the Wyver. V or Viver, V-O-U-I-V-R-E, and Wyvern come from Lenorum Tales. A couple fun things. The shed skin of a lindworm is believed to greatly increase a person's knowledge about nature and medicine. Uh, if a bene- uh, lindworm is particularly uh, benevolent, it's said to be good luck to see them. And then uh, I was looking around to see if there's any modern day examples of them in pop culture, and I couldn't really find any. So if you do find some or know about them, outside of like D&D or Pathfinder or whatever, I'd love to hear about it in our Discord or whatever. Hit me up. Yeah, they're like the red-headed cool. stepchild of dragon analogs. They it's kind like, of are. You know, you get your Game of Thrones, basically wyvern-style dragons. Mm-hmm. You get your dragon dragons and Tolkien. But where's... And like, your four-legged dragons are fairly common. You get yeah. your like Chinese dragons fairly frequently. Mm-hmm. But, but you don't see these guys. Yeah, you don't see these guys. Probably because they don't have wings. Yeah. I guess Chinese dragons don't have wings either, do they? Yes, that's true. But those are oftentimes in parades. Yeah. And I don't know that Lenorms are in parades, which is a shame. Slither around on the ground in the parade. <laughs> Turn into the rolling wheel configuration. Yeah, roll it. That, see? That would be great in a parade. Rolling wheel in a parade. Yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty much it. I would love to see more of these folks. But uh, what else you got, man? What's up? 
Yeah, let me talk about them in Galarian, and I think you might understand a little bit more why one was in this area. So Lenorms are a family of gigantic wingless dragons, same as in our real-life lore, with long serpentine bodies, and they live in the far northern reaches of Avistan. Despite their lack of wings, they are capable of magical flight, and they were the original dragons on Galarian. So they were there for aeons before the arrival of the true dragons, like the chromatic dragons. Mm -hmm. Like true dragons, they possess breath weapons, but unlike their cousins, they're not innate spellcasters. So like your average chromatic dragon would have a spell list, a Lenorm does not. Instead, they have a strange connection to the first world of the Fae and are able to pass between our world and theirs and lay dying curses on those who slay them. The norms that still reside in the first world claim that they are the ancestors of all modern dragons. Many consider the eldest Ragadan as the father of the first Lenorms. So the reason this Lenorm is here is because Virlik is very leyline active. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And these witch gates are like fey portals that mm -hmm. existed here and were corrupted. So um, it being connected to the first world this area would have been a natural habitat for Lenorms before it was, you know. Huh. I didn't know the first world connection, so I guess, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. I just thought they were just up in the north, lands of the Lenorm kings, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that that is to some extent a, a reverse nomenclature. Like, Lenorms are there, certainly, mm -hmm. but that's called Land of the Lenorm Kings because of the... The kings that kill the Lenorms. The kings that kill the Lenorms yeah. as part of their culture's royalty mm -hmm. tradition. Like, you can't be a king until you've brought the head of a Lenorm back to your city. So the species that are known to exist are Cairn, Crag, Fjord, Gare, Ice, Taiga, Tarn, and Tor Lenorms. The one you guys faced was a Crag Lenorm, so we'll go into that stat block in a bit. A lot of Lenorms have a number of abilities in common. So every Lenorm has a particular death curse that affects any creature that slays them. They all have a boon equivalent to a constant freedom of movement spell. They can't be physically constrained. They're unaffected by mind-affecting magic. They're immune to curses. They can see through illusions and magical disguises as though a true seeing spell constantly affects them. They can resist most other spells. They resist damage from weapons and are able to regenerate any damage they do suffer, and they have venomous bites and breath weapons. The reason Cold Iron overcomes it is because of the Fey connection. Mm. On Galarian, Lenorms are feared and respected by the populace of the lands of Lenorm kings. Like the nation's name suggests, the ruler must carry a Lenorm's head through the city gate in order to secure a mandate to rule. Within that same nation resides the father of all Lenorms, Fafnir. In distant Vudra, many Lenorms are found in the Parbat Mountains. <laughs> that was a tough one. I don't think I've <laughs> seen those yet. Near the valley of Virtash's tail. Here they fight with each other and other corrupted dragons for control of powerful, unholy artifact of the Vujan dragon god Virtash. So I think that Fafner guy has a few pages in the Monsters of Myth book, mm -hmm. which I read a while ago and don't really remember much. But I remember reading and being like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. 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 I think he's like CR in the 20s. Oof. So pretty strong creature. A Craglinorm is a CR 14. 
It's a gargantuan dragon, and true to its race's abilities, it's got true seeing, freedom of movement, DR-15 cold iron, it's immune to curse effects, fire, mind-affecting effects, paralysis, poison, and sleep. It's got spell resistance 25, and regeneration 10, which is stopped by cold iron. It's only got an AC of 29, which I think you guys discovered at that point. And you also discovered that its poison is relatively deadly, so it's got... 40-foot speed on the ground, 100-foot fly speed. Unlike dragons, it's got an average fly speed mm-hmm. um, instead of poor, and it's got a uh, swim of speed of 60 feet. Its poison is a really tough poison. It's on its bite, so 42 DC, 24 frequency, once per round for 10 rounds. You take 2d6 fire damage and 1d4 conjuring. The cure is two consecutive saves. So that that was tough. Yeah, there's a lot in there where that we were talking about after the episode that makes that really deadly. Consecutive saves. Yeah. The fact that it is con drain for a fortitude save. So the more times you fail or the more damage you take, the more difficult it is to succeed. Yeah, that's really, really bad. Yeah. I don't think I really got to hit you guys hard with a breath weapon. I think I only hit like Eclipse and the Lopper, but a Kraglinorm has a 120-foot line of magma that deals 15d8 points of fire damage, and the line of magma remains red hot for one round after the Lenorm creates it, so creatures that took damage on the first round take 66 fire damage on the second round. Again, the reflex save negates, as does any creature that walks across the line of magma. The death curse for a Kraglinorm specifically is the Curse of Fire, which is a will save, DC 22, if Air Bear had failed, because I think Air Bear killed it. Matumbe killed it. Oh, well, then I don't think Matumbe failed it either. No, but he did you not. would have gained vulnerability to fire, just permanent vulnerability to fire. Obviously. Really? Yeah, obviously. Like a know, remove curse. Like a, yeah, that's that like a, it's a curse effect, so it could be removed by a remove curse. What's the vulnerability on that? So in 2E, it's just true vulnerability. So you take 50% more damage every time you take fire damage. Oh. It's not like weakness in 2E. Yeah, that's that's where my head went to. Playing too much 2E. Was the Lenorm that we fought modified in any way or or changed up? It was gimped a bit. Like its saves and stuff were all the same. It's just normally a Lenorm would have a tail attack that also has constrict. Mm. Um, but this one's tail was damaged, as you guys found out. You know, part of it was bitten off. Yeah. And so it wasn't able to use its tail attack or use that constrict ability. It's kind of fun. I like when the writers do that type of thing where, you know, they're. I understand it's very difficult to do this type of stuff, but like, you don't take the easy way out and just say, oh, this creature has the whatever template on it, and I moved on to the next thing. They're like, okay, if I take away the tail weapon, what does that do to it? Mm-hmm. Like, I like that. That's interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, there's a story moment for that that happened for a reason. Right. And as we were uh, were able to roll a couple checks, we figured that out and realized we're fucked. <laughs> yeah. There's always a bigger dragon. Oh, you said it first, Liam Neeson. And you might not know the answer to this, or maybe you do or whatever, but I remember you saying that it had an intelligence of five. Mm-hmm. I thought dragons were usually smart. They Is usually are. This particular one or a Kraglinorms in general are dumber than the rest of them, or maybe only certain of them rise mm-hmm. to like intelligence like that. Yeah, let me let me take a look at another one. Uh, 
Now, Karen's got intelligence of five. I'm actually kind of curious here. I wonder if the higher level ones have a higher intelligence or no. Nope. Uh, they're just dumb. They're they're like the. <laughs> I mean, they're they're supposed to be like the original, like more bestial dragons. Sure. I'm sure. I'm sure if you go to like the, whatever the fuck, the father of all the norms, right? right. Like your like Fafnir he probably, or he probably has. Yeah, he's got like a teen intelligence, right? But he's also a CR twenty four creature. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I was just curious. I didn't know if that was just the one we fought or. Crag the norms versus other norms or what? Yeah, even even like the one right below it, like the Torla norm has an intelligence of seven. And it's CR twenty one, <laughs> right? So so they're they're just in general pretty dumb. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Well, it was a pretty fun fight, and I know I spent most of my time like saving and buffing my saves, but I thought it was interesting. I, I enjoyed this one; it was a good time. Yeah, I think some of these combats, like leading up to like the dungeons in these areas, are meant to kind of give you guys like a. Hey, here's a here's a combat with a bunch of combatants that you can like wall up or something that's like relatively level of like CR fourteen isn't gonna like f you guys yeah. up right, but it's like oh here's one big one that has like a couple really highly damaging things, but like doesn't have any spells it's gonna throw at you. Really. This is the classic phase spider or weaver worm or whatever mm-hmm. something that's not necessarily incredibly plot relevant, but it's just in there to hey. You leveled up at the end of the last book. This is your first or second fight. Show off those new powers a little bit, and then we'll get you on to the hard stuff. Yeah. I, I think part of it, too, is it's interesting because they did this with the Weaver Worm as well. Like, in this case, this guy's pretty much like a plot device and a nice chunk of loot, mm-hmm. right? He's like a plot device to realize, like, if I didn't have... You know, the reveal happened with Jimberium that this Signavier thing was happening. Yep. And this Marogarth thing is happening. Like these dragons are, are going to be an issue. This would be where you get like the intel that like, oh fuck, there's some kind of like big dragon in this area. That's not good. And then like, you know, in the next part when it's like, because I think that the next part will be out before this is out. Am I wrong? Does this come out next Monday? It does. Yeah, we are basically just caught up with our recording where we're doing one for one now. So, so this one, like, so like then the next encounter is like kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, my caravan's going to will be destroyed by Marogarth, like this other dragon. It's like you're learning about these things that are coming up in this book. And the Weaver Worm was the same way where it's like, hey, you get a note on one of the dead bodies. It's like an invitation to the place. So like mm-hmm. if you didn't get an introduction, you can use that to leverage your way into the lodge. Yeah, it's nice in that you could take a cynical look at it and be like, God, oh, they're just like throwing some exposition at you, like throwing it in your way when you're already on the rails. But it's also like, I don't know, it, it feels a little natural in that like, this guy's in my way, I need to fight him. And ooh, there's a little hook here. How exciting. I want to, mm. yeah, and, and this will blossom into something really epic later. I'm right, a sucker like, for that type of you stuff. You guys could skip it, and we'd just be rolling probably random encounter tables. If you like, decided not to take the witch gate routes, mm-hmm. you'd be you know walking or doing some form of like slower transportation than the wind thing yep. through Virilic so that you didn't get sucked into the gates. Mm-hmm. So you know that'd be a couple days, a couple random encounters probably. So doing it by the witch gateway at least allows you to kind of hit these more relevant encounters. Yeah, and I also just think it makes sense for our characters, too. If we know that we can hijack these witch gates and use them, we should hijack the witch gates and use them. 
Also, we got a lot of intel that just being in Veerlik, bad time for someone who's alive. So I want to minimize the amount of time that I'm there. I don't want a blood cloud to descend on me while I'm sleeping or what have you. So let's just move through this as quick as we can. (laughs) Cool, man. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to chat about with this particular Lenorm or Lenorms in general or what have you before we move on to some listener questions? No, I think I'm good. Great. All right. Well, our first question comes from good friend of the show, Jason. What is your approach to spells as a prepared versus spontaneous caster? Ooh. I don't know that we've ever really discussed prepared versus spontaneous on this uh, this, this show before. I'm taking this question to be, what is your approach to selecting spells? I think so, too. Um, and I think for a spontaneous caster, you you have to pick those bread and butter spells that like might be something you would end up preparing and casting like on the entire party, even if it's not like a multiple person spell. Like I always find myself picking like freedom of movement because it's just, it's long lasting. It's so good. And I end up like, if we really need it, I can say, okay, well, I don't need to cast some of my other fourth level spells and I can cast this four times because I'm a spontaneous caster. Mm -hmm. So stuff that like, I know is useful in a lot of circumstances I tend to pick. Yeah, it's why every sorcerer out there spams fireballs and why every bard out there throws haste on at the beginning of every combat. It's because they're on the list and they're proven effective good spells. Mm -hmm. They're classics for a reason and I think that's a little bit of a double-edged sword because you know you've got some really good stuff when you're spontaneous caster and you can spam them if you need to. But also it's like I guess that means that on those particular spell lists, there's probably a lot of really awesome niche spells that you probably are not going to hear on an actual play podcast or probably wouldn't even pick up yourself because why would you pick up this weird spell that has 12 paragraphs of text to explain what it does when you could just give everybody haste and you'll be the favorite person at the table. Yeah, I think I think it really depends on what you're doing as a spontaneous versus prepared caster too. I mean, there are certain like three quarter spontaneous casters where your bread and butter maybe isn't going to be selecting stuff that's going to make everybody happy, but like you're going to buff yourself to be stronger than a full BAB character. Like like you would with like an inquisitor. Yep. For instance, which normally is spontaneous, not prepared. You know, you're probably figuring out a lot of self buffs that you want to use. Like a war priest comes to mind as like, Hey, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm picking only self buffs basically. Yes. Like, I, I think if you're a sorcerer, then you got to decide, like, okay, am I going to take a damaging spell and try and. Am I a blaster caster? Yeah, am I a blaster caster? I'm going to try and use this up to its effective level. Am I going to spell focus into it? And, like, I feel like that's what ends up happening with spontaneous casters is if you want to be a blaster, you like spell focus into that school and then you you know Mm -hmm. what's the other one like signature spell you signature spell that spell and you end up using fireball the entire time or you end up using fucking shocking grasp like Amagus. yeah which i don't know i feel like this is a deceptively tough question and this is one i struggle with because i feel like when i play a prepared caster and i don't have the right spell for the right situation i feel like a failure Then I'm like, oh, man, if I'm playing a spontaneous caster and you just pick the go-tos, 
Uh, well, you only get so many like spells you could choose from anyway. So it's like I I, I would never have picked up that niche spell that would save yeah. us. But like a prepared. Oh, I could have prepared that today. Well, see, so this is like this is tough. why I think prepared casters are the kings of downtime. Mm. If you mm-hmm. have a campaign with downtime, then a prepared caster is at least in first edition is like the best fucking thing you can be because if it. you if you take scribe scroll and you start like taking your niche spells and making a scroll or two of them that you can always have on hand mm-hmm. but like you know you're not going to use that spell five times in yep. a day you know if it's coming up it's coming up once so you start preparing because you can have spell books of spells like you can go into a town and for relatively cheap copy down the highest level spellcaster's spell book yes you know you can be doing that kind of stuff like that's where your budget should go you don't need plus one weapons you don't need that shit start paying for more spells and then start writing scrolls of those mm-hmm. and then you end up having so many more spells to cast in a day than just your spell list and then on your spell list you can do the same thing as the fucking spontaneous casters if you want yeah you can, you can prepare the bread and butter shit that you know you're gonna have to cast or you know you're gonna be looked on to cast but then you have all that niche stuff in your scroll cache mm-hmm. and you can just be like oh well i didn't prepare water breathing because i didn't know we were gonna like this dungeon was gonna collapse but good thing i have you know a scroll of water breathing communal or some shit mm-hmm. and i think that's pretty much the answer to the question right where it's like if you've got the downtime and you want to put the effort in as as a player, I mean, a prepared caster with downtime is not the ideal like person to play if you're not going to be invested in the game. But if you want to like make a good ass character and make sure your bases are covered, you can do great work with a prepared caster. When I think what some people neglect to use and some people, some GMs neglect to make valuable is like you can prepare your spells at like different cadences like i always tell emily like especially when she was playing freya like leave at least one slot open at every level and take the feat that's necessary for you to like prep that in 15 minutes or whatever yeah i didn't i didn't want to get out of this question without making that statement prepared casters don't do what i do and prepare all your spells leave slots leave, open. Leave slots yeah. open. Because then, even if you don't have the time to do all the scrolls and stuff, Mm -hmm. in the morning, you know, if you're a witch, you can use that, like, witch's eye thing to, like, scout, or you can, like, you can use some kind of divination, some kind of scrying to try and get an idea of what the day is going to be, and then be better informed for your, you know, list of spells that you end up preparing. Yeah. At lower levels, you can't really do that, but, like, (laughs) once you get to, like, mid-levels, you should be doing that. Indeed. All right. Well, let's move on. We got a couple more fun ones that I want to hit today. We're going to bounce around a little bit on this agenda. We're going to drop down to 10 lawn gnomes. Eric says, what exotic meats and spices would you find at a family barbecue in different places around Galarian? Good question. I would want to see lots of mythical creatures. I think one that's not quite mythical mm-hmm. that would get served a lot is axe beaks. They're those big, like, ostrichy birds that are, like, really aggressive. Oh, interesting. But, like, they're t- they're definitely tameable. They're definitely, like, somewhat livestock in parts of the world. And I think it'd be like cooking a, you know, a boar-sized bird, you know, when you do, like, a when people, like, smoke a whole pig. Yeah, I wonder what their diet is. Are they carnivorous? I think so. Well, then they might not have great meat. I mean, I think I don't know if they're omnivores or what. Yeah. But they- if they're omnivores, yeah, then then there's better 
should be better meat, right? But yeah, yeah, just to have like a massive ass chicken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, you got to think about like the level of difficulty in finding and killing these things too, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, you got to wonder, I'm sure this is addressed in canon whether or not it actually happens, but like when those kings have those Lenorm hunts, do they bring them back and eat them? Uh, like a big feast. What's the protocol on like how intelligent a creature is allowed to be before it can't be food? Right, because we like, can mechanically it, qualify that in Pathfinder Because like can in real life. Right now, it's like, it's kind of unethical to eat like a dolphin. Yeah, or like an ape. Yeah, like, a, like, like an sucks. ape. Yeah. yeah, don't do that. <laughs> like, I mean, it's borderline on pork even, just mm-hmm. given how smart pigs actually are relative to other animals. But, you know, you got to take that into account, I feel like. And it's like, do I eat a minotaur? Do I eat a harpy? Well, minotaurs, like, yeah, those are like half humanoid, right? They're like monstrous humanoids. I think you I think you can't do monstrous humanoids. Do you think if a minotaur existed in real life that someone would try to eat it? Like a person would try to eat it or like Yeah. I don't think so. No. I think someone would try to eat it. I mean we have these things in legend and there's no legend of like oh hungry fist the <laughs> the mad that tried to eat the minotaur. I guess that's a good point. Like, none of the mermaid legends have them being like, oh, instead of being real horny for this fish chick, I'm actually really hungry to eat it. I guess that's a good point. Could just be a less popular story. Not saying it's not out there. But yeah, when you see something like that, a fish on the bottom or like a cow on the top, I always I always wonder a little bit. Like, I mean, would you eat a Grindy Low? Like, is that is that whole bottom half just like way bigger calamari? That's a good question. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> Just no qualm. <laughs> Sentient creature. Yeah. Well, you know. That's their language and culture. They're usually bad, right? <laughs> oh, that's where we're going to go. Yeah. We're going to go to the um, the racial imperative of... Oh, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> the thing D&D got in trouble for. <laughs> <laughs> and all greedy loves are evil, right? So you can eat them. <sighs> oh, I, guys, I don't want to eat intelligent creatures. Let's not get that started. So that's that's why I think when you start to get to exotic stuff, it's mm-hmm. a little difficult because like a lot of the like mystical beasts or whatever mm-hmm. are intelligent. Yeah, you know, a lot of creatures will have a low intelligence, but even in Pathfinder, a fairly low intelligence, you can still like understand a language and yeah, react like would to you eat a Lenorm? You know, it's like a Lenorm's an intelligence five. Mm-hmm. If you had a chance, I mean, to your yeah. point, they probably do in the land of the Lenorm kings. Yeah. I but I know. mean, in this world, you could eat a mammoth, you know, you could try any kind oh, of yeah. dinosaur. That's true. Right? That's true. Yeah, that's a good answer to this question. I mean, dinosaurs and mammoths canonically exist in Pathfinder. I think they're on the menu. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. definitely on the menu. You definitely like eat a T-Rex and where are they now? Like the, I think they're in parts of the Mwangi or the, or the dinosaurs. Yes. Yeah, there's definitely dinosaurs in the Mwangi. I think there's an island in the Shackles that's got some dinosaurs mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, so... But... Boom. Boom. There you go. Yeah. What do you think Undeath does to the meat? Like... I don't know. I'll give it a try. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, if you carve off the rotten part... Because, like, for instance, when you yeah. age... When you, like, dry age beef, mm-hmm. right? You age it for, like, a month. It rots to a certain extent, and you cut off the rot, and then it's really good. You just cut off the outside rotten part. Boy, that's... Oof. Yeah, that's that's a lot to think about there. Yeah. I wonder if it's just like... And so if you just have like a lich hanging around for a thousand years, 
I mean, then then your qualm kind of goes out the window, right? Because, like, you know, it's an undead thing, so. Yeah, well, at that point, it's got to come. It's got to come in. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to come in. Hmm. Huh. i give it a try, maybe. Maybe yeah. give it a try. Some of that mummified stuff, I think, you know. I think as long as I knew that I wasn't going to, like, turn into a zombie, like, Walking Dead style. Or yeah, eat, if, like, like the, zombie if, meat. If through yeah. the reverse property. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, you know, a bite's bad for you, but what about taking a bite? Yeah. Which I think was established on The Walking Dead as a bad thing. So I don't think you can do that. Oh, is there somebody like, I'm starving, I'm going to eat zombies? Yeah, there. I, okay, it's like a 15-year-old show at this point. It's like 10. Maybe less than that. So this is not a spoiler. But at, at some point, there was some dude that got bit and cannibals caught him and started like cooking up one of his legs and he was like laughing at them he's oh, like yeah, he's like, tainted tainted meat. Meat. yeah so you know gotta keep that in mind yeah i think that's actually the uh the emphasis of blood lords you know people are uh people tainted. are trying to eat them yeah even though they're one of the most prosperous nations in the world for crops listen man's gotta eat man's gotta eat <laughs> yeah so I, I think I, I think in general your uh, your farm animals are probably still going to be the best tasting thing. Oh yeah, so for in, sure. unless it, like like axe beads, like I was saying, are like are kind of domesticated. So mm-hmm. like unless something is domesticated in a way, I don't think it's really going to be very good. Yeah, I think so much of domestic. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I think so much of domesticated meats taste is like how you raise the animal, what you feed it, and like what hormones you shoot into it. So. I don't know. You probably can't capture a wild dinosaur and it's going to taste that good. Like, like I think I, I would argue that I would rather have a wizard like magically raise a cow to be like the pinnacle of what beef would take. Beef oh, could taste. Oh wow. Like. You That's know what I mean? a really good answer to this question. Like yeah. you use use alchemy or use yeah. whatever and like make it like mm-hmm. make it perfect. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I guess that's a that's that's a really good answer to that question. I think that pretty much covers it. <laughs> we put way more thought than people would would assume into that. Blarder Days ask, and this is going to be the last question that we ask of the day: What podcast would each character put on during their two-hour wind walk from Califas? And uh, I think there's some pretty clear-cut answers. You do? Yes. Air Bear, hardcore history. Yeah, fair. Talking about old battle tactics. Eclipse, my favorite murder. Yeah, that's where I was going with that too. Yeah, I think that's clear cut. There's no reason to discuss it. I would say Uska being not necessarily like of our time stream, then becoming part of the time stream would listen to something like the Dice Crisis or Min Maxed or something. <laughs> something that's that's a completely different reality, but exists. I think she'd listen to, um, oh shoot, what's that show? There's a very popular show that's like all just like facts, like random facts. I feel like she's missed oh. out on, on on like real facts about the world. Oh, that's pretty good. I don't know what that show is, but that sounds is. fun. Yeah. Huh. And then honestly, uh, Matumbe is the one that I kind of struggled with the most. So maybe just like books on tape, Bonesland and the Spiral on tape. Yeah. There's what a lot think? of there's a lot of uh, podcasts on religion. He'd have to find one for for asthma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could find it. I'm sure. There's a whole section on iTunes. <laughs> Yeah, Matube shows up to Califas really into Christianity. <laughs> Matube's a real Jesus freak now. Yep. Absolutely. 
All right. Did you have anything else that you wanted to posit for any of those characters? Are we good? Um, I think our bear would listen to Two Bears, One Cave, the like Burt Kreischer podcast. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually Ikmer would listen to that, but yeah. Ikmer's not on the Well, I mean, if we're, flight. yeah, Ikmer uh, gets, gets really bamboozled by the Ben Shapiro podcast. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, it falls right into that trap. <laughs> God. Are <laughs> listening to Joe Rogan? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, did you guys know? Did you guys know? <laughs> did, did you guys know uh, you could do this to optimize your testosterone? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Be uh, scared to know what Ik- Ikmer listens to <laughs> on, on the drive over, the flight. <laughs> Just the audio from Hentai. Mm. I would suggest that for a different character, but that's, that's for another story. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess that pretty much answers that question. And at this point, we're at our wrap-up and housekeeping segment. The only thing that I really have on here Stuff is- you should know. That's the one I was thinking of, sorry. Oh, sure. Stuff you should know. Is there it is. This is what I thought. Uh, actually, I think that works for Matube, too. I think it does, yeah. yeah. All right, wrap-up and housekeeping. The next live Zone of Truth is going to be on the 12th of November for our patrons. Come check us out. We're going to be talking about uh, all sorts of stuff. That is the 99th episode, so we are going to be sampling the 99 brand hard seltzers and uh, expectations for that are pretty low. So we'll see how that goes. My God, we got low expectations. (laughs) Yep. So of course you can continue to catch Griff on the STF and friends redshift rally, which is on the Southern tomfoolery Twitch channel. You can also catch the audio releases of that after the fact on their Patreon. I think the Um, next live one is two days after that zone of truth on the 14th. Ooh, check that out. I think that's it, right? I think so. I mean, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted when we have more information on Speak With Plants. Yes. And uh, on Carl the Kobold King. I'm planning on doing like a, just an update on everything. Once we land the plane on the main show, I'll be giving an update on potential timelines and when everything's landing and a lot of big changes on the Patreon as well. So... Good changes. Yeah, good changes. Yeah, don't don't good get changes. worried. We're not taking stuff away. Good We're changes. taking everything off of the Patreon and charging everyone double for nothing. Hmm. We're going to see how long you guys don't notice. And then we're all going to change our names. <laughs> <laughs> then we're out of here. We're going to start a Kickstarter instead <laughs> and then ghost it. Yeah, complete bamboozle heist. No, but uh, I don't mean to keep building hype, but we are sooner rather than later, we will be doing a kind of like a just here's everything that's happening and here's what's up so yes we'll let you guys know when that's happening i mean episode 100 is coming up you can maybe do it then oh that'll justify it being episode 100 and then i won't have to plan anything special there you go that'd be nice huh. <laughs> yeah let's talk about that more all right well i think that about wraps it up so griff anything you want to share with the folks before we take off nope just finish your drinks we'll see you in two weeks later later